Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM 1150. And it's an exciting time of year. Uh, happy September, everybody. Eric, happy September. Thank you. Happy yeah. September to you. Are you enjoying this uh, sneak preview of fall that we're getting? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I am appreciating the cooler weather, um, although I can see the, the days are starting to get shorter as far yeah. as the daylight goes. and. Um, but I love fall. I was getting a little misty driving home last yeah. night when it was kind of dark already. It was yeah. like, oh, I know. Part of that was the clouds, but still, right. it, <laughs> I know what's around the corner here. So. Yeah. Well, September means that my birthday is coming up. So next week, uh, September 8th is my birthday. And also, September means that one of my favorite events is coming up, the Vashon Sheepdog Classic. This year is September 10th through the 13th. On Vashon Island, just west of Seattle, you can go to VashonSheepdogClassic.com for more information about the event. It is such a lovely event. And every year we do a show, at least one show, but certainly um, a new show every year, sort of in close proximity to the trials to promote this wonderful event to the community and to also just talk about this really rich world of uh trialing with um, sheepdogs and herding sheep and the human-dog relationship and communication. And um, this year, uh, we're I'm going to be talking on this show with Donald McCaig, who is an author of many books. Um, his newest book is Mr. and Mrs. Dog, uh, Our Travels, Trials, and Adventures, Adventures and Epiphanies, and um, he also wrote a book that I just finished called Eminent Dogs, Dangerous Men, and Donald is on the phone with us now from uh, Virginia, West Virginia. Donald, welcome to The Dog Show. Thank you. Now, did you say that you're in Virginia or West Virginia? In Virginia. Okay. Uh, By about 10 miles, I guess, as you go in, in one direction or another. Okay. And you will be attending the Vashon Sheepdog Classic this year in person for the first time. Very excited to have you. Well, I'm excited to get a chance to run the the trial itself. It has a wonderful uh, reputation. I I was out uh, in Seattle, I guess, two years ago, running in some very small trials. I've got family living in Seattle. Oh. And uh, uh, they were... The trials were to benefit the Vashon Island. They say come back, come back in the uh, in the fall for the Vashon Island trial, and so yeah. here I are. Yeah, and so you, I just finished your book, Eminent Dogs, Dangerous Men, which I believe was written in the early '90s. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, and you talk about your trip to Scotland in search of a female dog to bring home to the States, to your farm. And it's a really beautifully written story about your experience. I, I mentioned to you before the show, I feel like I just got back from a trip to Scotland after reading your book. Ah, uh, thank you. Um, and, you know, about the dog. And, and one of the things that I appreciate just in general about reading, of course, uh, I love interviewing authors um, and Especially, I especially enjoy a good story. And I really found myself in this book 
in between readings, you know, when I'd put the book down and go do other things like, oh, you know, when is he is he going to find the dog? Is he, get, you know, like excited to hear about what all was going to happen? And then, and, you know, and and learning about it, it was a really great book. And I I appreciate that experience as a reader of um, putting a book down and looking forward to picking it up again because you want to find out what happens. Oh, thank you, Julie. So you have been involved in this world of of trialing and sheepdogs, and by sheepdog we mean border collie, for decades. And, yeah, about uh, thirty years, probably, and uh, uh, maybe a little bit more. And you will be trialing with a dog at mm-hmm. the Vashon Sheepdog Trials, and who yeah. who will you have? Three year old. Uh, who is? Uh, I guess he's run in one big trial before. Uh, my expectations aren't really terribly high, but I, but we will have fun. And what's his name? Jake. Jake. Yep. And is he's, he... Uh, I called his name and he came in and said, is there something to do? <laughs> yes, you called. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And is Jake a border collie, I assume? Sure. Okay. The, uh, although... Sheepdog trials are open to any any dog, any breed, any sex, any age, registered or unregistered. As a practical matter, you very rarely see a dog that is a border collie. Yeah, it's really only kelpies sprinkled yeah, in there. Yeah, you'll see some kelpie. Yeah, uh, not very many, and they they although <clears throat> and I I like kelpies, but I I think that they're uh, sort of handicapped by the. Uh, the distances that sheepdog trials, uh, I think there are things that they do better than border collies. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I were working pens and shoots in hot, hot weather all day, I'd rather have kelpies than border collies. Mm-hmm. But if you want to send a dog out to pick up sheep at half a mile, three quarters of a mile, uh, I'd rather have a border collie. When I was talking with Maggie McClure several years ago in one of our conversations uh, promoting this event, we were talking about uh, the difference in um, in the style. Um, uh, we have cattle dogs. I have two cattle dogs as part of my personal pack, um, uh-huh. and we've we've done a little bit, uh, just a, just a tiny bit of work with them. Um, we live in Seattle. We have no sheep or cows or anything for them to actually herd, other than the vacuum. Um, <laughs> but and probably the hose. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and the yeah the broom and all sorts of other things. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, but she said that one of the big differences uh, between a border collie and a cattle dog, among other things, is a cattle dog wouldn't even think to look as far away as a border collie does to see sheep. They're they're short distance, you know, very close range, tight quarters kind of herding breeds, um, whereas a border collie is, you know, gliding over these, these slopes. I mean, they can travel a long distance really fast. I have on, on a couple of occasions worked dogs at distances of more than a mile. Wow! And I mean, you, you're just sitting there. You know, you, you give a, you give a whistle, and then because of the speed of sound, it takes a couple seconds before the dog hears it. And it's uh, it's remarkable. It 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 is such a a privilege to be able to work with these dogs. And one of the real pleasures of it is that they enjoy it just as much as I do. I mean, they like doing this stuff. 
Yeah. They kind of need to. Uh, they need to do something, although yeah. uh, most, probably as many border collies are used in, in competitive agility as, as mm-hmm. are uh, used at sheepdog trials. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in the U.K., they have a, a particular class called the uh, ABBC, which is anything but border collie. <laughs> have you heard of Chaser, the border collie, who's learned yeah. over a thousand it, words? Yeah, yeah. yeah it he... doesn't really surprise me. No. Uh, <clears throat> although, I, that said, uh, there, are, there are very clever border collies, and there are border collies that are a little, a little slow. Uh, Jake is one of the latter. Ah. Well, it's not a terrible disadvantage because, as someone once explained to me, it may take a, a slower dog forever to get it, but once they've got it, they've got it. Yeah. Whereas a really clever dog will get it very quickly and then go on to something else. Right. You know? Well, you say at the end of the book, and I think this is really important to point out, um, if this has persuaded you to buy a Border Collie for a pet, I've done you and your dog a disservice. If you don't have work for a Border Collie or time to train it properly, your bright young Border Collie will invent his own work, and chances are you won't like it. Um, And it's important. I, um, a few years ago, interviewed somebody with a Border Collie who was involved in Border Collie Rescue, and I didn't realize Border Collies are up there, I think, in the top five breeds um, in rescue in the United States because people think, oh, I want a smart dog and get a Border Collie and then think that they can just um, admire the dog's cuteness and give it affection and think that the dog will be happy. And then, of course, as a result, oftentimes behavioral problems crop up because the dog has no outlet for their mental energy. Well, they're, they're uh, workaholics, probably, the, which is the nice way of putting it. Probably you could say they, they have obsessive-compulsive disorder. That would be a fair, uh, probably more accurate description. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are a, uh, a typical, yeah, there is no typical pet owner. Uh, if you don't know much about dogs and assume that the dog is not going to change your life, then it's sort of like giving a teenager, a uh, teenage boy a Ferrari. Mm. Probably not too good an idea. Yeah. Well, in your writing, your connection with dogs is very apparent, and there's a few places in in the book that I just recently finished, uh, Eminent Dogs, Dangerous Men, um, where you you speak to your obvious, you know, very deep connection with dogs. And it sounds like that is a common experience in the community of sheepdog trials and, and people who work with their dogs that there is, or there's at least expected to be uh, mutual respect and uh, bond, and 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 you really speak to how much time uh, farmers spend with their dogs, you know, day oh, in yeah. and day out. The, uh, one of the things that if uh, one of your if your listeners, any of your listeners, come out to the Varshan Island trial for the very first time, and I've never seen one, uh, the things which I find extraordinary won't be the first thing they'll notice. The first thing they'll notice is that there'll be a lot of dogs, and they're not fighting, and they're not quarreling, and a lot of them aren't on a leash, and uh, 
professionals there too, so they don't have to much bother with uh, mm-hmm. all that the silly stuff. And also, you won't hear much barking. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, that's the sort of thing that, first of all, uh, surprises people who have never, perhaps in their experience, have never seen a, a mannerly dog before. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that you could take anywhere on or off a leash. And uh, some of that, of course, is the uh, the training and handling they get, but most of it is the dogs themselves because they are not merely willing to do this, willing to learn, willing to get out in the world, willing to work livestock of any sort, willing to do agility, willing to do obedience. It's, they really want to work with us. Yeah. And uh, I think probably most people imagine pet dogs as being very loving, uh, but sort of reluctant. You know, uh, uh, they, don't want to, they don't want to obey or uh, all they care about is food and all this kind of stuff. And uh, certainly with these border collies, it's simply not true. What they want to do is to have a, a, purpose, a purposeful life in a dog-intelligible universe, a, a universe that makes sense to them. Yeah. Part of that seems like the uh, nature of a herding dog and that they're really wired generally to work, well, one, to work a lot and to also do their work with, you know, while interacting with a human. But I think the other thing, too, that really struck me, and you wrote about this in Eminent Dogs, Dangerous Men, is you talked a lot about, because you were really in Scotland for most of the story, uh, presumptions made in Britain and America about the nature of dogs are so different. The two cultures, you say, might be describing distinct species. I think you'll see that it's an interesting thing about dogs that very often you'll see the way that uh, people see them and understand them seems to me to be be sort of quasi-religious in uh, pet dog training. Uh, uh, There are three or four schools of of dog training, and they all hate each other. I know. And when you listen to them describing the dogs they're training, it doesn't sound like the same animal at all. Uh, It's pretty, dogs will let us believe often what we most need to believe. If you uh, if you see them as sort of ignorant chow hounds, well, all right, we'll 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 do our best, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you see them as noble, there they are standing there nobly, you know. Right. Uh, the dogs that couldn't adapt to our our needs and our desires and our our beliefs uh, didn't survive to breed. You know, I mean, there's uh, Michael Pollan writes in a in a quite separate uh, uh, discussion that if one day you would like to see the DNA and the do- DNA of humans and the DNA of dogs set side by side because he thought that they would probably click together you know <laughs> yeah uh, and I suspect that's true as Vicki Hearn said they were our first friends and they were yeah I mean, they were the they were the first animals that 
were domesticated, and and it was with their help that that uh, 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 cattle and horses and uh, goats and sheep were domesticated. I mean, I have I've talked about this before over the years on the show, and I actually just had a conversation last week with uh, Dr. Gene Dodds, and we were actually talking about genetics, specifically about nutrition and its impact on genetic expression, but dogs and humans are actually uh, relatively quite similar genetically when it comes to our digestive systems. Oh, I didn't know that. Which makes well, actually, sense. I guess I did. Most animals are. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, not cheap. <laughs> but, yeah, right. But I do, I've, I've thought about and really appreciated the role that our relationship with dogs has played in our success as humans, and I really really believe uh, from the information that I have and my understanding of dogs and our relationship is that we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for dogs. And you wrote about this in Eminent Dogs, Dangerous Men. Um, Since dogs could hear and smell better than men, we could concentrate on sight. Since courage is commonplace in dogs, men's adrenal glands could shrink. Dogs, by making us more efficient predators give us time to think. In short, dogs civilized us. Yeah, one of the things that also gave us time to do, because, you know, imagine you're out in a cave with uh, uh, fairly serious predators, uh, you know, uh, roaming the night. Yeah. And you're there with your family. And one one of the things you're going to do is is somebody's got to be awake all the time. Right. Uh, You have a dog. You have several, probably three or four dogs, sort of more or less hanging around your garbage heap. Uh, and so, uh, if something comes in close, they're going to wake you up, which means that it gives you t- that they gave us time to dream, time to think. Because if you're not secure, if you're if you're in fear for your life, you aren't thinking. Yeah. And I suspect gave us time to pray as well. Hmm. Well, there's certainly a lot to be said about the physiological response that we have to dogs in that they have a general sort of relaxing quality. Their presence is calming to us in a way that is even measurable. Our blood pressure can drop. Um, You know, that's why kids, for example, who uh, are having a hard time learning to read uh, you know, there's an organization I'm interviewing later this month called Reading with Rover, where therapy dogs sit with children who are learning to read and are who are especially having a harder time with it, and that the kids can read to the dogs, and that the dog's calming presence helps them learn. That's very interesting. Yeah, really. that's very interesting. I'm. I guess I'm not really surprised. I was. I had to get a health certificate for Jake today, so I was in the vets off. We came out of the exam room into the general lobby and I uh, laid him down over there and there was a kid there who was probably about oh, I think maybe eight and he was he was looking at Jake and this, you know, it was sort of like sort of like a light had gone on. There was a beam between the two of them. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I said, well, you know, you can go over and pet him if you want. He might jump up on you which he didn't, I'm pleased to say. Uh but that kid, I mean, there wasn't any other creature in that in that universe for that child right there, you know? Yeah. Uh, and Jake was pretty well focused on him, 
Um, so I work when I'm not doing this radio show. Uh, my work and my expertise is in dog behavior and training. And uh-huh. I, I work with people are in the Seattle area and, you know, for all different all different reasons. People have new puppy and they just want to get going on the right direction or they have a behavioral challenge that they need help resolving, whether it be anxiety or aggression or whatever. So uh, one thing that's interesting in the in the context of the conversation about how dogs have been living with people, the most popular um Length of time now is 40,000 years, um, among scientists anyway, that, that they say that dogs and people have been living together. And uh, I have never, and I use the word very mindfully, never have I had a client tell me that they want to train the dog not to bark if somebody is, you know, at the door or, you know, looking in the window or whatever. People do want to have an off switch to let the dog know okay thank you that's enough and then have the dog stop barking but i've never yeah. i've never had and i wouldn't agree to do it in the first place but i've never had anybody say i don't want my dog to bark when somebody's at the door and that yeah. i think really speaks to the history of our relationship together well you i mean you know we have a a dog pack uh, some of whom are uh, living in our house, some of whom are outside the house living with the sheep, and sometimes they're in the house, too. Right now, both both our guard dogs are, because they don't like thunder, and we're having a rainstorm, so they're uh, both in the house. Uh-huh. But uh, they have a very proprietary sense of what is ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure without some very strange methods that you could train a dog to not alert to, to danger. Yeah, I wouldn't think that would be a reasonable I think it would expectation. Be hard. I think you just about, I think, you know, I don't think you'd have much left if you were successful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I remember, as a matter of fact, when I was going to go to Scotland, my wife was, was very worried about it because, you know, our nearest neighbor is two miles away. Mm-hmm. And she, she went to to a friend, and she said, do you think I ought to get a pistol uh, to protect myself? And he said to her, uh, Anne, when I come to, you, to your farm, I always am very careful about how I get out of my truck. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, the UPS man comes bestowing treats to the guard dogs with yeah. both hands. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, well, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to talk more about your book and, um, of course, the Vashon Sheepdog Trials, which are coming up uh, this year, September 10th through 13th. Um, I will be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday all day. Um, I'll be at a booth this year, and I have the pleasure of um, talking with Donald McKaig, who is on the show with us right now. Also, again, at the trials, I'm going to be interviewing him live on Saturday, and then I'll also be hosting a panel discussion with some of the handlers um, who are trialing as well on Sunday, and you'll have an opportunity to ask questions as well. It is such a wonderful event. I highly, highly, highly encourage you to check it out. It's a real quick uh, ferry ride uh, from West Seattle over to Vashon Island. It's about a 20-minute ferry ride, and it's just a lovely way to spend the weekend the Vashon Sheepdog Classic, you can find them online. 
Vashon Sheepdog Classic. Com. I'm talking with Donald McCaig, who's the author of his new book, Mr. and Mrs. Dog. And uh, he'll be at the trials this year as well. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And the dogs, they run. And the dogs, stay. And the dogs, they run. And the good, good morning sun. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Dr. Doug Yearout and his All Animals Alternative Medicine Clinic in Marysville, we cover the world of animals. This week, September 6th, it's Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and Anything Helps Our Animal Friends Sunday. We'll check on our regulars as usual, plus some extras, like what's new with our elephants, Bamboo and Chai in Oklahoma, Homeward Pets Social Event of September, and new stuff from the Ananda Institute of Living Yoga. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 11. 50. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. Hey, dog show fans. Does something stink in your home or car? Pure Air is a powerful odor eliminator that is the only natural food-grade product in its category. It works on bedding, kennels, litter boxes, urine, vomit, poop, even skunk spray. You know, all the fun smells our pets bring into our home. It's so non-toxic that you can literally eat it, a requirement for our home and our dogs. Spray pure air on anything you can put water on and let your nose watch the odor disappear. Ask for pure air in stores that specialize in natural, non-toxic products for home. Or visit dogradioshow.com for a link to their website. I'm Julie Forbes, your host of The Dog Show. Pure air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Conscious living for conscious people. Alternative Talk 1150. And the dogs, they run. And the dogs stay, and the dogs they run, and the good, good morning sun. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, back talking with author Donald McCaig. And uh, I just finished his book, Eminent Dogs, Dangerous Men, which was a lovely read. And I am looking forward to reading his most recent book, which is titled Mr. and Mrs. Dog, and uh, Donald will be attending the Vashon Sheepdog Trials this year, which we are always excited about when it comes around. One of my favorite events every year in the Seattle area, dog-related events anyway. And um, it's all weekend long, and it's on Misty Isle Farms on Vashon Island, and it is a lovely time. It's a beautiful setting, and you can 
come and bring some chairs or blankets to sit on. And there are uh, some food vendors of, you know, local, delicious, healthy food um, artists there who have some of their artwork on display. There's demonstrations with, with wool. Um, there's a beer garden. And then, of course, the trials themselves. And I am just uh, thrilled to be participating again this year and uh, to meet Donald in person. Um, Donald, welcome back to The Dog Show. So we were talking in the last segment about, um, you know, your work with Border Collies and um, working with dogs in general and kind of the culture of dogs in America. And if, you, if you've missed any part of this interview or any of our over 300 episodes, you can find them all archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. Or you can go to iTunes and download The Dog Show with Julie Forbes for free. So, Donald, um, there are some things in your book that one of the the reasons why I so highly recommend uh, that people who are interested in dogs, any kind of dog, attend a sheepdog trial because it demonstrates a quintessential example of the human-dog relationship, um, you know, that has lasted over thousands and thousands of years. And one of the things that I love about this event is that it shows humans and dogs working together, but especially one of the things that I've talked about really focused on about this event in my conversations is how the humans communicate with the dogs and how generally how subtle the communication is and and really that the teamwork is so evident that the dog is working the human is working they're working together and that the dog is clearly making some decisions on his own and and then also following direction but that it's there's a clear mutual respect between the dog and the human and you sp- you spoke a lot about the the respect and and that it's necessary between all of the animals between from the the sheep to the dog from the the dog to the human from the human to the dog and the sheep i mean the respect is just kind of flowing between all the animals and an understanding of all the animals all the time and that's when you get the best results yeah it uh when I'm running a dog, uh, I it's about as close to an out-of-body experience as I'm ever going to have, I think. Mm. Uh, if someone was shooting at me, I wouldn't know it. You are in that moment with the dog, and at, sort of at that point where the dog is, is contacted, is connected to the sheep, because, you know... Uh, we're dog people, but if you're going to be any good at this at all, you have to become a sheep person. It's a three-species sport, and uh, it's a gentle sport. Uh, you cannot force a sheep to do anything. And if your dog, if the sheep are frightened of the dog, uh, they're just going to run. They'll just take off, or they'll stand and fight the dog, or what what they are doing. Uh, is they are respecting the dog. Uh, they're moving, what we say, moving off it. 
and you are determining through the dog where they should go next. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I've had friends tell me that, that the reason they did it was because it was the most difficult work they've ever done in their lives. Mm. It is extraordinarily complicated. It takes a long time to learn it. Uh, they say in Scotland that it takes uh, as many years to train a sheepdog for an open trial as the dog has legs and a tail. Well, Jake is just three, so I think he may be a little unprepared for this. Mm. Uh, and it takes a very long time uh, to learn how to do it. I mean, people come into this thinking they're going to fool around for a little bit. You know, they've got an agility dog, and they they say, well, I'd like to uh, get out and see what the what the Border Collie was bred for, and all of a sudden this dog turns into something else. I mean, the, you know, the dog, his tail drops down, he crouches and doesn't listen to a word you say. Mm. I'm talking about, you know, the first moments of, of training. Mm-hmm. And uh, it either people get very seriously infected at that point. Yeah. Uh, or they just run, sensibly run home, you know. Mm. Well, but, it- it's true. It's certainly true from my experience of no experience with sheep ever. Lots with dogs, but not really not around yeah. sheep at all. And when we took our cattle dogs out for some herding lessons, um, we especially the the male was a little uh, when you were describing um, Pip about being hyper. Uh, that's yeah. that's how our male cattle dog is. He's a little up and down, um, but our female is very balanced. And she's very calm and she's very powerful. And she was like, I know, you know, first time in the ring, you know, the, our, our um, instructor was telling us how, how to move to, to get some separation between the sheep and ourselves so that the dog could bring the sheep back to us. Because, of course, the yeah. sheep don't want to leave our side. And we were just, you know, cumbersome and sort of, you know, not knowing where to go and what direction to go. And Telly, the dog was just running the sheep around us in a circle like I know what to do I know what to do it was so funny like she was clearly in her element and we had no idea what we were doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah well she was bred for it you see it and we were bred for for taking bananas out of trees <laughs> yeah yeah I mean she was just uh and I have never forgotten I got to know her in a way that I wouldn't know her if I hadn't done any hurting with her i i definitely yeah, it's, it's an extraordinary thing yeah it, and it's one of the big you know uh you teach uh obedience mannerliness uh uh for people's pets well the thing about that is that it's quite independent of breed in other words sit means the same at whether you've got a wheaton terrier or whether you've got a great dane mm-hmm. uh it's you know, the the training is to make a, a dog uh, predictable and handleable in the human environment. Uh, sheepdog training, on the other hand, absolutely depends on genetics. What you're doing, uh, and you saw it with, with, with your female, uh, in the very first moments you're training it, is you're trying to awaken the dog's genetics. And all of a sudden this dog, which may be a perfectly obedient family pet, could care less about you. Yeah. I I once saw a woman who had multiple arches on a border collie. Dog was eight years old. Brought it into a in, at a sheepdog clinic, 
and the dog took off after the sheep wouldn't down, wouldn't come, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't sit. The woman had tears streaming down her face mm-hmm. because this was an obedient dog. Yeah. But once those genetics started working, you're dealing with you're dealing with a whole different skill set. Yeah. Well, you talk in your book, um, "Eminent Dogs, Dangerous Men." Um, quite a bit. And I really appreciate this aspect of the conversation because I think it's important for people to understand, especially with, and you alluded to this earlier, of the culture of dog training in this country and how polarized it is and and uh, heated the debates are on this method versus that method. And, and you know, you, you talk about the place of you know that o- obedience training is very different from from training a dog that you're working with and you you gave an example of a dog who was actually killed because he was trampled in you know holding a downstay and didn't break the command and then ended up getting trampled um but i think what's so important for people and my focus with my clients is you know i want to show people how to work with their dog because it's a way for them to get to know the dog's mind as an individual, you know, regardless of breed, certainly taking breed into consideration because it's important. But um, so I encourage working people to work with their dogs. I don't necessarily care what the work is as long as they both enjoy it. Um, But it's less so about this sort of rigid, you know, I really wonder, and this is what I do for a living, you know, working with training and behavior, but sort of what need is there for obedience training in our lives with dogs as much as the need for communication, mutual respect, giving the dog an outlet for his mental and physical energy. Uh, The training itself matters less to me. It's more that what it provides for the relationship. Well, in in some ways, I really agree with you, but in in one fundamental way, I don't, because I think that for a, a civilian dog owner, uh, with a pet dog that they just picked up from the pound or they just got a pup. Uh, the easiest way to establish that bond and to uh, create the respect that we've both been talking about is to routinely train the dog. Uh, I mean, you and to work with the dog, however you do it. Right. Uh, and by whatever method. I mean, I... I uh, I have no uh, particular argument about the differing schools of, of pet dog training because I've seen cases where each one of them produced absolutely happy dogs and happy owners. Uh, but it was, you know, I guess what I'm going to say is that training is a great way to get involved with your dog. Yeah, and that's um, so. When I say that, the reason why I um, why I like to teach people how to work with their dogs in the context of obedience training is that it it allows the person to get to know the dog's mind and how the dog thinks. And Absolutely. I also and I also think you know of course that and I spoke to mutual respect, but I think that dogs do generally. Um, do do well with some structure, and of course, it's important to set boundaries and all that stuff. Um, but I think I'm just speaking more like I'm not as interested in sort of rigid obedience. Oh, yeah, I, I in uh, Mr. and Mrs. Dog, the latest book, 
Mm-hmm. I do a history of, of obedience training, which you'll be interested in looking at when, mm. you, when you see it. Yeah. And uh, a lot of those exercises were originally police dog exercises that transmuted into what we know as competitive uh, obedience today. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't really designed, I mean, I, I'll give you one example. The reason, you know, uh, the, uh, the police dog uh, obedience was started by uh, pr- Prussian military people. And the reason that heel dogs heel on the left is because they had their pistol on the right. Mm. I mean, that was, there's no better reason. Right. Uh, and uh, But on the other hand, teaching something that as arbitrary as the dog's got to be on your left rather than on your right, as you're doing that, you're doing just what you what you have suggested. You're learning the dog. Right. You're learning how to talk to the dog. Yeah. You're learning when you can talk to the dog. I mean, uh, there there's very few things that are are uh, qu- quite as pointless as the dog is absolutely fixated on something, and this person is trying to tell them to sit, stay, calm, heal. The dog's in another planet; can't hear a word they're saying. You right. Know? Yeah. Well, it's just so interesting. There's so much uh, rich conversation in talking about the human-dog connection, and I think especially in terms of communication. And I think that going to sheepdog trials like the Vashon Sheepdog Classic, which is coming up September 10th through the 13th this year on Vashon Island, go to VashonSheepdogClassic.com for more information. I think that, uh, you know, watching handlers working their dogs and watching the relationship is such a beautiful thing to witness and and um you said in your book um you know I'll leave I'll leave people with this from your book and then I highly highly recommend Donald McCaig's books um wonderful writer wonderful books um if you're interested in dogs highly recommend um I just finished Eminent Dogs Dangerous Men most recent book is Mr and Mrs Dog You said subtlety speaks volumes in communication with dogs. And I just thought that that was just very well put, that it really is one of the things I love coaching the human part of the equation in working with their dogs is to be really mindful of the ways that they communicate subtly with their dogs that they may not be aware of, but that the dogs certainly are. You know, it brings up topics of conversation around nonverbal communication and really being present and in our bodies and aware of what we're kind of giving off in that respect because the dogs are picking it up all the time. It's a, uh, it's a little like dance. Yeah. Uh, the dog's first language is, uh, is body language. Yeah. And uh, it, when people come out to Varshan, if they watch invariably the, the dog-human team that are going to do the best will be the quietest. Mm. You'll hardly be able to hear them most of the time. Yeah. I love that about, the, about, about that, and I love that you said that. And I'm very much looking forward to meeting you in person, Donald, at the Vashon Sheepdog Classic just in a couple of weeks, not even a week and a half. Um, Thanks so much for your time today on the show, and I look forward to talking with you again.
Uh, so if you'd like to um, not only come to the trials, but if you come midday on Saturday, you'll be able to participate in my conversation with Donald in person. I'll be interviewing um, him in front of the crowd at the Sheepdog Trials on Vashon Island. And Donald, I very much look forward to continuing this conversation then. Thank you very much. It's been fun, Julie. Okay. I'll see you in about a week and a half. Safe travels. Okay. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And then when I come back, I'm going to be talking with the host of a new dog-related show that is starting just after the dog show here at 3 p.m. on KKNW called Dog Snob Radio. The host, DRC Dent, uh, will be in the booth with me when we come back from break. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair discusses issues that are important to you, like good health and well-being, finding a new job and building your business, overcoming life's big challenges and making sense out of chaos, and living with passion and joy. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific for Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. See conversationslive.net for show schedule and guest information. Pure Air's powerful formula lets you eliminate pet odors safely. It's strong enough to effectively get rid of smells like urine, plus stronger odors like those that can be caused by illness. Pure Air is safe enough to spray directly onto people, animals, or use in the bath or laundry. Pure Air is perfect for dealing with dire situations, refreshing your dog between baths, or just before company comes. Pure Air is the most effective product you can buy to remove stinky pet odors safely. Find it at stores like Mud Bay, McClendon's, and Natural Pet Pantry, or visit their website, pureair.com. That's pure, A-Y-R-E, dot com. 
I'm Julie Forbes, host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Get a grip on life with Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And I was just talking with Donald McCaig, who is an author I had never heard of until I was introduced to him through the Vashon Sheepdog Trials. And I just finished his book, Eminent Dogs, Dangerous Men, and it was a really, really great read. Um, He's an excellent author, and he will actually be at the Vashon Sheepdog Trials this year competing And I will also be interviewing him in person in front of the crowd on Saturday. I think it's going to be around 1 p.m. So if you're going to make it out there, um, try to come during midday and you can catch that. And I'll also be talking with a panel of handlers on Sunday as well. So they'll be available for questions if you have questions about their experience working with dogs. So, very exciting. In the booth with me right now is DRC Dent, who is the host of a new show that's starting in, let's see, less than 10 minutes. 10 minutes, yeah. Um, <laughs> called right Dog <laughs> Snob Radio. Yes, indeed. Now, very did excited. I, did I get that right? Dog Snob Radio. Okay. Yep. So, another um, educational show and... Um, which is awesome. We need more of it. I'm thinking this is just the next step to dog-related shows taking over KKNW. What do you think, Eric? Yes. <laughs> We're all for that. All dog all the time. That's, there you go. That's right. There you go. So, DRC, tell us about what Dog Snob Radio, your your mission with it, your intention. I know we share a, a common interest in educating people, and you've had a lot of experience, especially in the uh, pet food industry. Yes. So education is definitely what the whole purpose is. And part of what I found and what I was doing, I was in retail business for 13 years and I've been in the pet industry for about 25 years now. And you have to find products that are good. You have to find products that are helping your customers. And the way I did that was research, research, research. So Mm -hmm. I educated myself and found that every time somebody came in, I was educating them about something they didn't know. They didn't know they had to be careful what was in their foods. They thought someone else was taking care of it for them. Yeah. So that became a huge jumping off point for Dog Snob in that I kind of became a snob about what was going to be in my store, uh, what I, you know, I was even going to bother looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and my customers, I felt like, really appreciated that. So what I felt was the most valuable thing I did was talking to people and helping them. It said, um, you said that you were really impressed by, you were sort of repeating to people, um, sharing with them, kind of in the industry, sort of basic information. And you were impressed by how so many people didn't know even some of the basic stuff. Repeating myself over and over and thinking, I know all you people live near each other. Don't you talk to each other? You know, because dog people talk to each other and dog people have that commonality. And I did. I found that people didn't know they had to be careful or people didn't know certain ingredients could be helpful or problematic with their dogs. Yeah. And saying that over and over again, I was like, you know what? We need to get a bigger forum. Yes. We need more people to hear it all at once Mm -hmm. and then have a discussion. Yeah. 
And I think that's really key because you can get information from a lot of places. But can you discuss your individual situation? Because every dog is an individual. And being able to do that was really, really important to all the people I talked to. Yeah. I was just meeting with a client yesterday for the first time. She had a little like dachshund terrier mix and they had just had her for a couple months. Um, Dogs doing well generally. But one of the things she sort of said as like a side question is, uh, oh, and she's um, biting her paws a lot. And I was like, okay, well, what are you feeding her? And so, of course, I recommended Natural Pet Pantry, which I do to all my clients to clean up the food. But then she pulled, and the food she was feeding, it was kibble, but it it was, she could have been doing a lot worse as far as kibbles go. Um, (laughs) We say that a lot. (laughs) But then, um, but then she pulled out all these bags of treats from like the grocery store. And I'm like, oh boy. And a lot of times I think we don't see, I mean, you have a market out there that tells you this is natural. This is wonderful. Your dog's going to love it. And I literally watch people in the grocery store on the aisle and they are reading the bags and they are looking for what's best for their dogs because that's what they want. They have no idea they're being lied to. Yeah. And this is something that if you educate yourself, you at least have a choice and you can make good decisions based on what you know and you can keep growing that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so you'll make better and better decisions. And I think one of the reasons why shows like yours and ours are so important in the work that Randy does out of her store and people who and like Susan Thixton and all these people out there who are um, educating people is that I think it's hard even if somebody knows that they need education, the industry is so tricky. So they could do a search, an internet search, and then get overwhelmed with information. And Mm -hmm. this says raw foods are bad. And this says, no, that's what dogs are meant to eat. And it's like, well, what do I believe? And I think that's where we find the dog community gets divided. And the idea would be, let's look at what we know about these animals. Let's look at what we know about whatever product we're looking at. Let's use our common sense and decide what is real Mm -hmm. and decide what is usable, what makes sense, and not just rely on one company who just happens to have a big presence. Right. Get your sourcing from a lot of different places and trust yourself. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people just, they have a gap between what they know about dogs compared to what they know about people. Mm -hmm. The more you know about your dog, the more you'll be able to make those good decisions and those judgments and your common sense will really kick in and tell you, you know what? They may say that, but eh, I know my dog better than that. Well, uh, I'm excited to have your company on after the dog show every week. You can listen to Dog Snob Radio right here on KKNW at 3 p.m. Is it an hour show? It is an hour show. Okay. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much. And this has been, I know for me, um, I've just enjoyed talking with all the different people that having a radio show has really opened up to me and... I'm excited for you and I'm excited for the community because it's certainly a much needed service. So be sure to tune in to DRC Dent and Dog Snob Radio every Wednesday at 3 p.m. right after the dog show with Julie Forbes. Thanks for listening.